Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement with your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant, founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, the author of A Cop's Life, and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. Welcome to another episode of this show. I'm going to bring in my co-host, who is amazing right now. I'm not waiting a second. Betsy Smith. Betsy Smith is... Randy, first. good day. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be with you uh, you again. I wish I was in studio with you. Uh, well, we're going to make that happen soon. We're going to make that happen soon. So uh, Betsy is a retired police sergeant, and she is a nationally known law enforcement trainer and has touched the lives of tens of thousands of law enforcement officers across the United States with her training and that of her husband, Dave Smith, another legendary police trainer. She's also the spokesman for the National Police Association. Betsy, it's wonderful to have you here on the show again. Thanks, Randy. All right. There is so much happening in the world of law enforcement. Um, I mean, we let's start off with what's on everyone's mind right now, and that is the tragedy of Yavaldi, the uh, the tragic school shooting that took place there last week. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably are very well aware of this of this school shooting. If you're listening to this on iHeartRadio or uh, or the um, AmericaOutloud.com or seeing this on America Out Loud or YouTube or any of the other channels, uh, this has been massive news all over the United States. And there is, uh, there is a ton of, of stuff to talk about here. Betsy, let's talk about, first of all, the, the tragedy itself. We have a, 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 an 18-year-old who was clearly um, showing signs of, of anger, mental illness. Uh, uh, he, was, he was on social media. Uh, talking about um, about about you know violent subjects, uh, and yet somehow under the radar managed to go buy a couple of rifles legally, then get into a beef with his grandmother who he lived with over a phone or a phone bill or something, shoots her in the face. He does a media post before he shoots her, or a social media post, shoots her, says I just shot her. And now I'm going to go shoot up a school. And then he does exactly that. Now, the, the, the information that we have now is that he, uh, he fled the scene of shooting his grandmother, wrecked his truck right near his school. At that time, he gets out, he starts shooting at, at, at people that he just sees randomly. And, and inexplicably, a teacher at the school had had opened one of the, the the school doors and apparently in an effort to go retrieve a phone or something propped the door open and in that in that brief moment the suspect got into the school began his shooting rampage which of course has led to the death of i think 19 people 17 students two teachers now let then we have the, the, the police response to this, where initially, Betsy, I know you followed this you know, from the moment, and there was, there was instantaneous um, uh, media being given by police leadership 
and political leadership where they are where they're talking about what took place. I mean, without even gathering the facts, the 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 uh, DPS um, colonel was out talking about the police response, and at first it sounded like a very heroic, well run operation that eventually took out the shooter. But then mm -hmm. we come to find out that this is not the case. So let's talk, before we even get into the the facts of the case, I want to get your take on, uh, on, on what is driving this incessant need to give information to the public by police and, and public leadership before the facts are in, what is driving this? Because it, every time it happens, it comes out later on that they didn't have the facts, and they got to walk back stuff, and it and, and, it's, and it makes policing look look terrible. Right, exactly. Well, because we live in this instantaneous world of social media and twenty four hour cable and streaming, the minute that this came out. Um, there was immediate discussion about here's what the police are doing. In fact, um, you know, one of the things that was happening is there were media helicopters in the air with police helicopters in the air. Understand, I've been to Ubaldi, Texas. It, it's a border town. It's a very small city in a pretty small county. And they are right now being eaten alive with border issues. So you have a lot of law enforcement there. And Texas has a little bit different system than a lot of states where they have, you know, designated school district police. So you've got school district police. And yes, there was a school resource officer assigned to the school. He ran out to grab something at the store or whatever. He was gone uh, just a, a few minutes. There, there's all there's this kind of bizarre timeline where the SRO runs out, takes a quick break. The teacher props the door open to get her phone leaves the door open. This kid crashes his truck after shooting his grandma and he runs into the school. Now this suspect, he's 18 years old. The Washington Post just published a video where he's holding a bag of bloody dead cats and talking about that. He has threatened to rape numerous girls. This is not a kid who wasn't on the radar, Randy. So he runs into the school, starts shooting. Uh, he is immediately engaged by law enforcement, but he is able to beat them back, if you will, because they don't have the equipment readily available. The incident commander gets there and goes in with 19 police officers go into this building. But uh, the officers don't, they have no ballistic shields, all that. And when you, when you, you know, understand the door, you know, opened, unfortunately, the wrong way um, to this classroom, so those officers could have tried to storm that classroom, but we would have just had a pile of dead cops. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's okay. But inexplicably, and we don't have all the information yet, the incident commander, the chief of the school district police department there, called it a hostage situation and basically stopped the action. And there is quotes of the, of the tapes, the, the dispatch tapes, <laughs> of him saying, there's no further children are in danger. And he calls a stop to the action. And we it, now know that's not the case. So, so for our listeners and our viewers, let's explain what the what the procedures are, because it, it, it you know, it's, it's very confusing to the general public to, you know, understand 
what the police procedures are. Let's let's just go back a little bit to the, you know the watershed moment of Columbine, when the when the um, standard operating procedure for a mass shooting event like that was you you uh, um, you know form a perimeter, wait for a tactical team, let the tactical team take care of business. Mm -hmm. That changed completely. The the protocols were now you form quick action teams you go in and you actively try to take out the shooter and you know yeah. uh we we used to word use the word euphemistically you know change the wording to you know neutralize or it, it basically you go out and you kill the shooters that's yes. what that's what the police you make him stop right that's what the police mission is all right yes. and so for years now that has been the protocol now the, here, there, as you mentioned, there were numerous police agencies, law enforcement agencies, all coming to the to the rescue, all riding in like the cavalry, because that's what cops do: running to the sound of the gunfire. And and and, uh, but for the public's knowledge, it is the 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 commander of the scene is the highest ranking police officer that has the jurisdiction. So in this case. The jurisdiction was the Uvalde uh, school district. So this yes. school district chief of police is the one that is given that authority to call the shots. And so I just wanted the, the, to clear that up for anybody that's listening going, well, you know, who was in charge and why? And that's the way the protocols work unless that individual releases that authority to some other Entity, maybe in some cases it might he might have said, you know, uh, Uvalde chief of police, you handle this, but he didn't, right? And he's the one that was basically the shot caller, and yeah, absolutely. And he had remember, he and a, a lot of his personnel had just done uh, action, uh, I'm sorry, scenario based active shooter training in March. You know, you hear a lot, people are hearing a lot in the media that these were untrained small town cops. That's not true. They had just attended active shooter training. They had protocols in place for just such an incident. And no, the police, the 19 police officers that initially were on this uh, ad hoc team run by the school district chief of police, they were not standing outside waiting for a key. They actually went into the building. They had the classroom identified, which was locked. And their intent, we're told, was to go in and engage that shooter. You know, and, and there's another there's another uh, part of this scenario that uh, I want to make clear to, the, to our, our viewers and our listeners. And that is that this school... Um, had protocols in place. In fact, had had some target hardening. Um, these classrooms were actually designed to withstand someone trying to get into the classroom. So, so it, it, this wasn't a matter of hey, let's just kick the door in. That would have been an impossibility unless right. you have the proper equipment, the breaching tools, which in some cases might even include explosives. To blow to blow the door uh, off its hinges, um, unless you have a key. Now, I'm I'm a little curious about why a key wasn't obtained a lot sooner, and maybe it was, but that's that's something that's going to have to come out in the investigation. But of course, what's the easiest access? A key. 
Now, it's also, there was a, uh, I had been asked uh, uh, a question about why they didn't have a sniper take him out from the outside. And it's my understanding that because of the way the school was designed, it was designed so that you couldn't see into these classrooms because they were trying to, you know, safeguard the students that are inside. So in this case, the target hardening of this school worked actively against the rescuing of these children. So that's, yes, that, a, that's another that, portion yeah. here that, that, that I think the, that the public has not been really, really brought, to, brought up to speed on. Well, and, you know, this goes back to your original point, Randy, was almost instantly when this occurred, you saw, you know, first of all, tactical experts uh, on uh, every news show in the country saying what should have happened, what should be happening. This is before we even had our hands on the shooter, even before he had been killed. Um, you know, then you have, you know, this school, it's an older school, but then it had a little bit added on to it. Like you said, some target hardening. And, you know, then you had Texas law enforcement or somebody from law enforcement down there had already started to talk to the media. There was a great deal of confusion. You know, within minutes of this occurring, um, an administrator from the school, as she was supposed to, put out an, an all-parent message to everybody that all schools are on lockdown. Now, what people need to understand is the Uvalde schools are frequently locked down because they are so close to the border that they often have, whether it's cartels or other people that are actively running from the border patrol that are armed or thought to be armed, these schools get closed down quite frequently because of that threat, because of the very porous southern border there, right? And Uvalde is one of the epicenters of that. So when she called for the school to be locked down again, I'm told that a lot of parents were like, oh, okay, the Border Patrol is chasing somebody again. So the, you know, there was some understanding that it wasn't quite met with the gravity that you would think it would be. But then parents started showing up. Then off-duty and on-duty police officers from as far away as San Antonio, which is about an hour away, plus county, plus state, plus border patrol, plus federal marshals. You know, we had all this law enforcement showing up, partially because uh, there were a number of law enforcement officers whose children went to that school. So you have absolute chaos, and then you have this team inside with this incident commander um, the school district chief, who, again, I've just got to say, who is also a newly elected member of the Uvalde City Council. And in fact, he was supposed to get sworn in tonight, but the mayor has put that on hold. And, uh, yeah, you, and know, you know, so one thing I found very, very interesting during all of the briefings by the, uh, you know, the, the head of, D of the Texas DPS, who, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I felt sorry for that guy. Um, well, sure. I mean, he's, you know, Colonel he McGraw. Put, yeah. Put, he was put in an impossible situation. Um, well, he was. And part of it was he kind of had to clean up the mess from the sergeant who spoke earlier. And, uh, and I, but I admire the Colonel because he absolutely, he said, I'm the highest ranking guy in Texas law enforcement right here. So I'm going to answer your questions. And he really did to the best of his ability. And this, what happened is not the fault of Texas DPS. And, uh, and right. you know, but they are going to um, be part of this investigation that is going to be conducted 
into what the heck happened in the shooting. Because again, we got to go back to why did the incident commander believe or apparently believe that this was a hostage situation? Because again, to explain to people at home, when we go from an active shooter to a hostage situation, that basically stops the action. Because if you continue to try and breach a door when he's holding people hostage, you can actually create more death and destruction uh, in a, in that situation. So these officers are only going about what li you know, what little they can see, and then also what they're getting from the incident commander. We don't really know yet where his information was coming from, but I want people to know this too, because you've heard that kids and teachers were calling nine one one and and saying, you know, the shooter is here. He's in this room, and there was a little girl who was on the phone up until the end. They just asked her to put the phone down. So we have that that audio and, you know, and it's just so horrific to even think about because she was asking for them to send the police and things like that. But I want people to think about a couple of things. You have multiple police agencies here. So you have multiple, perhaps, communication centers. Right. And so we don't know what information this incident commander was getting. We don't know what information... But we do know how the we do know how the story ends. Yeah, we unfortunately we we certainly do now. And and adding to this to this confusion, um, you know, the and this is all about leadership. This everything that we're talking about today concerns um, competent leadership in law enforcement. You know, so you got you got hundreds of kids in the school. Um, they're trying to evacuate the children at the same time that they, you know, you got two, two very separate um, duties here. One is to get all those kids out to safety. And the second is to contain the shooter and engage the shooter. So, you know, you, you wonder, you know, what was the, from, from everything I've been hearing, it was, it was absolute bedlam that there was confusion yes. uh, that, 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 I mean, Volunteers are running and grabbing kids. Parents are running and grabbing kids, and that's that's another topic we're going to bring up here in just a minute about the police response in some of the instances to the parents who were seemingly so frustrated at the police response that some of them wound up getting tased and taken to the ground, etc. So that's a whole nother optic we're going to talk about shortly, but. That's why that's why the, 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 it's so critical. And the fact that they did have uh, active shooter scenario based training just months before mm -hmm. that that tells me that there's a serious leadership issue here because that's the whole that's the whole reason to have these these drills is so that when it actually happens, you have some modicum of command and control and mm -hmm. and this it, it appears to have completely broken down in in this instance and i i mean you know, i know that you and i were you know we th we think alike on a lot but just about everything when it comes down to law enforcement can you imagine the sense of frustration mm. that those cops had in that school chomping at the bit to go get this shooter and being told to stand down, 
to me, when I think of that, I think of mental health issues. That's mm -hmm. what, because I can't imagine what is now going through the, the emotional psyche of these men mm -hmm. and women. I don't know if they're, what the breakdown was, of course, between men and women officers, but, uh, you know, knowing that there's, that there's children dying and being told, don't do anything. I, I, right. it's unimaginable to me. It's unimaginable. And, you know, and, and here we are, we're, you know, we now have the benefit of some hindsight here. So we're making, you know, some commentary based on information that we have now, what, almost a week later. Right. But still, you know, and, 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 and you and you and I know this, that, that the whole world is looking at law enforcement today, right now, mm -hmm. um, in the microcosm of Uvalde. And, and law enforcement is being judged, just as it always is, on a singular incident. And, and this is going to, this has already taken a toll on, on, you know, the, uh, you know, the people's trust. So now there has to be, has to be a complete investigation that is transparent, no matter where it goes, no matter, no matter what the light is, um, whether it's negative or, or, you know, there's going to be a lot of positives that come out because of the actions and the bravery of many of these men and women. But I think it's essential that we may come out battered and bruised, but we come out telling the truth about what took place here. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. There has to be a complete investigation that is transparent. No matter where it goes, no matter what the light is, whether it's negative 
or, or you know, there's going to be a lot of positives that come out because of the actions and the bravery of many of these men and women. But I think it's essential that we may come out battered and bruised, but we come out telling the truth about what took place here. Well, and that's the thing. And that's what we've been hearing for the last, you know, two years and certainly since 2014 is we need these transparent investigations. So let's hope that that's what happens. And that's why um, the, uh, you know, the Texas authorities should be the ones to conduct this investigation. And it cannot be political, Randy. And that's, you know, because as we talked about this situation that happened a week ago was immediately politicized. I mean, within 15 minutes of it getting out nationally, it was already, you know, a political football. And then, of course, we had the Biden administration jumped right in, came out to visit. You had Beto O'Rourke, who is the Democrat <laughs> candidate for governor, you know, you, you know, interrupted bizarrely interrupting a press conference in the most inappropriate and frankly freaky way that he did that. And and let me, do you mind if I say a couple things about Beto O'Rourke, Randy, oh, in relationship to police by, training? By all means, let's let's talk about our buddy Beto. <laughs> so for folks who don't know, you've got a Republican governor, Greg Abbott, and you've got uh, Beto O'Rourke, who once tr tried to run for president. And he's the guy who famously said, oh, you bet we're going to come for your AR-15s. So he's the Democrat candidate for for uh, governor, and he has it's come out in his tweets that he has uh, condemned what he calls militarized police training or what the folks in Minnesota call warrior training and said that we need to make we want to in Texas eliminate warrior police training like they did in Minnesota. Now, let me ask you this. If you've got cops that are going in to save your kids from an active shooter, don't you want them to have that warrior <laughs> mindset, including, and, and we teach this, Randy, that the values of a warrior include selfless service. Yes, you want your police officers to go in there and be absolutely selfless, possibly giving their lives to save the lives of those children. But Beto O'Rourke wants to do away with that. He also supported a Black Lives Matter proposal to require mandatory de-escalation by police in any situation where force might be used, even if civilians would get hurt. Now, is that perhaps something we saw in Uvalde? where there was where someone thought that we should try to de-escalate this situation before going in and stopping the threat i.e kill the killer so these are things that we need to think about and that texas voters need to think about because now you've got a guy in texas who is slamming the police but he really wants police to not be able to do their job properly to save people's lives. You know, and, and yeah, let's and let's talk about the Biden administration's stance on law enforcement. So now the, the mayor of Uvalde has has requested the DOJ to conduct the investigation. Um, why he why he chose the mm -hmm. DOJ? I, I have no idea. <clears throat> but of course, the Biden administration jumped on this opportunity. Now, the Biden administration has been 
reliably anti-law enforcement. You you can pretty much bet that every decision that they come up with from from every aspect of our government is going to be tainted by the by the the politics of the anti-law enforcement movement. I mean, we saw just I mean, and the timing is 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 pretty interesting <clears throat> that on the on the eve of the the George Floyd uh, incident, suddenly an executive order appears from the president, which doesn't address public safety one tiny little bit. No. It is only it is only focusing on on uh, another way to punish police. That's really what it, it's not police reform. It's police revenge. It's revenge against the yeah. cops. And in it, in this, he talks about systemic police racism once again. So this isn't about public safety. They don't care about public safety. Everything is 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 racially politicized. And part of this executive order, which thank God he doesn't have the the authority to make decisions about local state policing. Thank God he can only you know. He can only give an executive order that covers, you know, federal law enforcement. Um, but in this, he he ends the 1033 program, which yes. which gives life saving equipment to law enforcement agencies that is surplus military. Now, you and I both saw in in much of the, uh, the footage that we saw, maybe it was in the background, but you saw armored personnel carriers because they are essential in a rescue operation with an armed suspect. This is one of the things that Biden administration says, we're not, it's, it's militarized. You know, this is the buzzword that came out under the Obama administration. The root of, of, of all the anti-law enforcement um, madness that is that has taken hold of this country began under the Obama administration, and he's the one that stopped the 1033 program initially. Which of course, you know, makes makes life uh, less safe for law enforcement. But it, it seems like that's the goal. The police are well, expendable. and in making life in making life less safe for law enforcement, who does it ultimately make life less safe for? Of course, you know, and that's what I want people to understand. You're not really punishing us. We're going to get paid and go do our jobs anyway. Um, but are we going to have more situations where cops either? do stand down or they're forced to stand down because they don't have the equipment necessary. And that's what the 1033 program did was provide equipment to, especially to small towns and counties, like, just like I don't just know, like Wally, Texas. Right, right, exactly. And, and the, the, um, the irrational response by the Biden administration. Now, and I want to talk, let me talk about the Biden administration because it's angering me more and more and more. And that is that this seems to be a, a, an administration that embraces lawlessness. From, you don't even hear, I mean, talk, all right, we, we just lost 19 people in this shooting, 17 children, two teachers. We've lost 100,000 people this year to fentanyl overdoses directly related to the to the the border being incredibly open and allowing the cartels 
to traffic not only people but fentanyl into this country. And it's the highest number of fatalities related to overdoses in history. And you hear nothing and you see nothing from the Biden administration in relation to this mass murder of American citizens. So if, well, if, and remember, the mayor of Uvalde, who is asking for this DOJ investigation, had also previously asked the Biden administration to get more involved in the border because of just what you said, Randy, because the porous nature of the border with all that fentanyl coming across the border, all those children being trafficked. So maybe you got to wonder, is the mayor of Uvalde does he think this is at least the way to get the DOJ down to the border is have him conduct this investigation? And of course, we saw President Biden and Jill go down there and hug some of the victims and uh, treat a bunch of the Border Patrol who'd responded very badly by uninviting them from the ceremony. And yet, Randy, we've had 250 people already murdered this year in my native Chicago, 1,221 <laughs> shootings total. He hasn't been to Chicago yet. He hasn't been to Philadelphia. You know, there's so many places that he hasn't been. It seems like he uses these situations for political gain. And frankly, like you said, also to attempt to punish law enforcement. So we, there's, there's so much at play here. Um, but before we go into this, I, I, I want to I talk about... You know, those who support this show and and make this show possible are are people who are, uh, uh, you know, the, helping to to fund this show. And that is um, Sticky Holsters, my uh, my friend and your friend, Mike Kristoff, who uh, has created a former law enforcement who has created a very concealable uh, holster system. Now, why is this important for the public safety and also the safety of law enforcement officers? It's because you want armed police officers, whether they're off duty or retired, that have the experience to save lives. You want them armed uh, when they are out and about. And it's it's sometimes difficult to do that if you don't have uh, an ability to conceal a weapon properly and comfortably. Well, Mike Kristoff over at Sticky Holsters created an incredibly comfortable and concealable uh, holster system. It's what I utilize all the time. So uh, if you're law enforcement or you got a CCW uh, permit, check out stickyholsters.com. I guarantee you, you will find uh, something there for you that will be comfortable and concealable. Um, also, in, in relation to, to police officer safety, um, we have seen that that the the new well it's not so new anymore but one of the weapons and tools of the uh, Antifa crowd and those who who are anti law enforcement and 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 are savvy uh, on the internet have found out ways to identify police officers and discover where they live what their cars are uh, all kinds of information. And then use that in order to dox these officers, harass them at their homes. So how do you combat that? And then, and uh, uh, officerprivacy.com is the answer to that. Um, I was uh, I was really shocked when I when I met with the owner, another retired police officer who was uh, uh, who devised this strategy to keep his his brothers and sisters safe. And that is for uh, for a very low fee. 
this officer privacy will will actually remove much of the public um, information relating to a police officer from the system, thereby making it much safer for the officer and their family. So go to officerprivacy.com and check them out. This is something that I recommend for every police officer and retired police officer. And so uh, my thanks to both of those who, who helped to sponsor this show. All right, let's get back into, into some of the, the um, related topics to, uh, I don't want to you know beat to death this Uvalde incident. But it seems like there's so many other, you know, ramifications and 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 su subjects that are, that you know correlate to this. Um, and what we were talking about with Biden, I mean, <clears throat> this is the uh, a headline: Biden suggests restricting ownership of nine millimeter weapons in bizarre rant. Washington D.C. President Joe Biden went on a bizarre rant about nine millimeter bullets on Monday afternoon, and suggested that lawmakers should further restrict ownership of the most popular handgun caliber in the United States. President Biden met with reporters on the White House lawn, and after returning from the memorial for 19 children, uh, he was asked about gun control legislation negotiations, and uh, with and he said he hadn't been involved. Then he began to spew off his thoughts on limiting firearms that Americans can own. Um, this is what he says. I know that it makes no sense to be able to purchase something that can fire up to 300 rounds, the president told reporters. There's only one reason for something that can fire 100 shots. Okay. Then he recalled visiting with a New York trauma surgeon 25 years ago when he was a U.S. senator and was holding hearings on gun laws. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung and we could probably get it out, may be able to get it and save the life. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is uh, there's simply no rational basis for it in terms of about thinking about self-protection and hunting. Uh, he goes on, uh. but, but you talk about a bizarre uninformed, unintelligent response to, and this is exactly where, where you, you went a few minutes ago, yes. politics. All, it's all about politics and not about, about a solution. Right. And I mean, Randy, and it goes beyond politics because of what you just said. It's so horribly uninformed. And this is, and I'm finding this, the more gun control talk I listen to from the left, these people know nothing about firearms beyond what they see on some NBC cop show. <laughs> and and Joe Biden, I don't know where he got fixated on nine millimeters. Somebody must've said something to him or he saw it on TV or whatever. So he goes on, he goes on this rant about nine millimeters because boy, does that sound scary. Now, in reality, First of all, he talks about the 22. Oh, that's not big. That's not a big deal. Randy, when you and I started in law enforcement, when you and I were in the police academy, the most cop killing round in the United States was a 22. A hundred cops a year were getting killed and half of them were getting killed by 22. So any bullet can kill you. Now, then when you and I became cops, right? We were, I was carrying a nine millimeter. I think you were too at first. And Wait a minute! I'm, I'm so old. I'm so old. I was carrying a 38, a 38. revolver. Okay, if we got if we got <laughs> right. to get into it. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. I'm significantly younger than you. <laughs> and uh, 
So, you know, then in the 80s, we were carrying nine millimeters. And then we realized that that wasn't really a lot of stopping power. And, 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 and then people graduated to the 40s or the 45s. I stuck with the nine millimeter till the end of my career. I actually have a small nine millimeter handgun in my yoga pants in a sticky holster right now, by the way. <laughs> but I get teased a lot by people. Because they say, well, that's not a lot of stopping power and, and you should get a 40 or a 45. And I, I prefer to go with my, I'm confident in my shot placement. But here's the bottom line. Nine, you could talk about nine millimeter, 40 cal, 38, whatever it is. Uh, yes, some stop more than others. But this bizarre rant that he went on about nine millimeter, millimeter what I really believe was happening, Randy, is... I think that he accidentally let slip that he's going to try and ban handguns. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where we're headed. And I think because nine millimeter rounds are the most common handgun round, I think he got mixed up based on somebody he was talking to or whatever. And I think he said the quiet part out loud, we're going to ban handguns. And I think he's going to try and start with the nine millimeter handguns. Well, and, and, and so that that brings up this next article i want to talk about um trudeau announces legislation to freeze canadian gun ownership includes mandatory buybacks canadian prime minister justin trudeau is pushing new legislation aimed at placing a quote complete freeze on handgun ownership throughout the entire country Quote, we are capping the number of handguns in this country, Trudeau declared. Trudeau, who also successfully banned over 1,500 types of, quote, military-style firearms in 2020, declared in a press release that uh, this new bill puts forward some of the strongest gun control measures in 40 years. It, uh, legislation would ban Canadians from bringing newly acquired handguns into the country, would outlaw buying, selling, and transferring handguns within the country. Now, this is our direct neighbor to the north, um, uh, who is, who, in my estimation, has proven to be much more of a socialist dictator than we could, than we ever, ever would have imagined in a, in a country that is literally on our border. Yeah, Justin Trudeau, it's, if people don't know, he absolutely reveres um, the Castro family out of Cuba. And there is some question about Trudeau's lineage. You, you can all look that up. But he really, he's a little tyrant. He truly is. And I think perhaps that our administration and some of our politicians are looking to Justin Trudeau to take this first step of freezing all handgun purchases, sales, transfers, all that, and thinking that they can do the same thing. Now, what people need to know is the gun laws in Canada are very different uh, than they are here in the United States, and, and including law enforcement. You know, Randy, um, a lot of law enforcement officers in Canada, they don't take their guns home. They go to work, check their gun out, leave it at work. Um, personal gun ownership, is uh, much more of a rarity there now, but it is a hunting culture and a rural culture. So there are, you know, long guns and things like that. But we saw Trudeau's actions during the pandemic. Yes. And he was very hard handed 
on his people. And I think he's going to try that again. And I hope Canadians don't put up with it. And, and, you know, luckily in the United States, we have this thing called the United States Constitution. Uh, and we have this thing called the Second Amendment. And but we are seeing the Second Amendment being attacked on all fronts uh, by the Biden administration, by the Department of Justice, um, of course, by the, you know, the uh, uh, political left. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but in the last week, two CCW holders saved the lives of numerous people, one including an active shooter um, who came in mm -hmm. with, a, with a, a long rifle at a, at a high school graduation party. And thank God, one of the women there had a CCW permit and took out the shooter. But yep. did, you didn't hear that on the national news media. And then there was another uh, similar incident that took place where uh, um, a CCW holder took out uh, someone who was, who was uh, uh, actively trying to kill another human being. So, you know, we have this, this uh, Second Amendment for a reason. The, our forefathers, those who had, the, had the, the brilliance to even create the Constitution, uh, seem to be able to see into the future and, and want to safeguard um, the freedoms of, the, of this country. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a, some right-wing nut. I'm just, a, I'm, a, I'm a guy who served 30 years, more than 30 years behind a badge, and I want people to be able to protect themselves because a cop isn't going to be there every moment when you need one. And you and I have Yeah, both... as the old saying goes, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Right, and, exactly. And, and we know that. And Randy... This is something that that I want people to really understand because you hear in the media that, oh, law enforcement doesn't want armed citizens. That's a bunch of crap. What you hear and what you're hearing from Randy Sutton and I right now, law enforcement officers, is that we love an armed, trained citizen who can take care of themselves and potentially help one of us. When you hear law enforcement doesn't like armed citizens, it's law enforcement leadership, and it's spe a specific type of law enforcement leadership who, I'm just going to say it, tend to lean to the left, and uh, and they don't want people to be able to care for themselves. You don't want to depend on the government. And, and as people who have spent most of their adult lives, you and I, working for the government, we know that government does a lot right, but there are certain things that government can't do and that's protect you 24-7. Exactly. You know, um, I want to talk about, about uh, when we're talking about um, the violent crime that is surging across America. Um, a Chicago 9-11 dispatcher just went on Fox and Friends and uh, said this. Uh, this is the headline. Chicago 9-11 dispatcher slams city's leaders after Memorial Day weekend bloodshed. Um, the dispatcher rips liberal politicians for crime surge, saying this nonsense has to stop and uh, demanded accountability. Oh, I love that word, accountability. Usually it's only assigned to police. But the, the dispatcher is demanding accountability from the city's leadership as bloodshed rocked the Memorial Day weekend, leaving 38 dead. 38 dead. I, I, that's unimaginable. And dozens wounded nationwide. The dispatcher, Keith Thornton, joined Fox and Friends first to discuss the significance of accountability in ceasing the rampant crime in the Windy City. 
Uh, 52 people were shot in the city over the weekend with 10 killed. Um, and, and of course, this dispatcher who lives it every single day, dispatching officers to those, those blood-soaked scenes, that is, can you imagine the frustration of, and, this, and of course, this is going to mirror every employee of the Chicago Police Department is feeling this, that they will, they're willing right. to go on TV and actively, uh, basically, um, criticize their bosses, knowing that that's going to put them in a precarious situation for their own employment. But they're, they're, they're so desperate now that they're crying out for help. And yet it's falling on deaf ears. You have Lori Lightfoot, who is as anti-law enforcement a human being as they get, who, is, who has mm -hmm. severely damaged the Chicago Police Department and the public safety. You have Kim Fox, who should, be, who should have been indicted and, and prosecuted for prosecutorial misconduct in the handling of the Justin Smollett case. Uh, and, and also for her ineptitude, incompetence, and, and lack of, of prosecutorial uh, vigilance uh, in allowing, allowing armed criminals to basically roam the streets with impunity. And, mm -hmm. and this is what we're seeing in basically almost every single major city in America. And yet, you're not hearing accountability on the part of these individuals, these leaders who are in, in, in point of fact, um, they are in charge of the public safety and are, are literally destroying the public safety. Well, because unfortunately, Randy, you have the media running cover for these. This is why people don't hear about this stuff because it's not reported in the media. I spent Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. And, you know, fortunately, I was out in the suburbs, but we kept, you know, we got up each morning and we'd read the Chicago Tribune and see what had happened. And, you know, and it sounds horrible. That's just a typical summer weekend in Chicago, unfortunately. Right. And we're hearing all these calls for gun control. We need more gun control, more gun laws. Chicago, Illinois is one of the most gun controlled cities <laughs> in this nation. It's illegal to do everything bad that happened this weekend in Chicago. But like you said, the reason that it continues to occur is because the mayor is she's talking about making sure her cops are vaxxed and all of that, not making right. sure that they can do their job. You've got the state's attorney, the prosecutor in Cook County, Kim Fox, who just will not prosecute. Remember last year we had a gang shooting with multiple gang members with multiple firearms shooting each other on camera in an identified area of the city she would not prosecute it because she said well it's mutual con conduct <laughs> you know i was standing in line for my airplane coming back and i'm looking at a guy with an ankle monitor on his ankle covered up by a sock. You know why he probably had that ankle monitor? Because he was probably out on some sort of gun possession or gun crime. Right. Unless you murder multiple people, you are gonna be out on no cash bail. And our governor in Illinois just signed a no cash bail ever again as of January. And, uh, and you're gonna get an ankle bracelet and you're gonna roam the city. And that's why we do hear story after story after story of people committing these crimes, not just in Chicago, but in New York and LA and Pittsburgh and Philly and everywhere else. And they have these lengthy rap sheets and they've been having police conduct 
uh, contact for 5, 10, 15, 20 years because of prosecutors like Kim Fox and George Gascon and on and on and on. We have all the laws we need. We just need to enforce them. Yeah, I'm glad you, you brought you brought up Gascon. So this this headline just occurred today. Group bankrolled by Netflix's CEO's wife pours six figures into efforts to save far left San Francisco DA from a recall. Patty Quillen, wife of Netflix's CEO, gave one million dollars to a group backing Chesa Bowden against recall efforts. A, great, a group aimed at overhauling California's criminal justice system. Oh, yeah. They need an overhaul, right? That's bankrolled by yeah. a handful of wealthy donors, including Patty Quillen, Netflix CEO, uh, has poured six figures into efforts to save liberal district attorney Chesa Bowden from recall. And then it goes on to how these wealthy donors are, are tr doing everything possible to undermine the criminal justice system in California, which is already basically on life support. So, um, you know, I, I, don't wanna, I can't beat this to death here because we're running out of time, but it, just, it shows you the, the absolute um, incredible amount of, of unwillingness to even look at the realities of crime and, 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 and look at, at methods to, to enhance public safety instead of the, the, the uh, carrying the liberal left flag, which basically says no accountability for any crime whatsoever. So Betsy, I, I wanna thank you so much for joining me again today. Um, it's always a pleasure to do this show with you. It's, uh, it, it's, I love your viewpoints and the way you articulate things. So uh, thank you so much for, for joining me. People can contact you where? They can uh, go to SGT Betsy Smith on Twitter. They can go to nationalpolice.org and look what the National Police Association uh, does. And you can go to femaleforces.com and look at my website. And, and for um, police officers and agencies, they are the best at, at uh, training police officers how to survive. And in fact, uh, she's and Dave are going to both be uh, at the Law Enforcement Survival Summit, which is going to be held in October. Go to thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org, to find out information about that. Betsy, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Randy. So this, uh, as we end this segment... Uh, as we do each week, um, we have a segment called End of Watch, where we eulogize those officers who gave their lives in the line of duty the previous week. I have three names to read. Senior Corrections Officer Daniel Sincavage of the New Jersey Department of Corrections. He was killed in a vehicle crash on Route 47 in Maurice River Township at 10.45 p.m. He and another officer were driving from one section of the Southern State Correctional Facility to another when his vehicle left the roadway, struck a tree, became engulfed in flames. He had served with New Jersey Department of Corrections for 20 years. Senior Corrections Officer Daniel Sincavage, New Jersey Department of Corrections, end of watch Thursday, May 19th, 2022. The next is Police Officer Houston Tipping, Los Angeles Police Department, California. Police Officer Houston Tipping succumbed to injuries sustained three days earlier during a training scenario at the Park Police Academy. He was participating in a defensive tactics scenario with another officer when he fell and suffered a spinal cord injury. Other officers immediately began CPR. He succumbed to his injuries on May 29th. He has served the Los Angeles Police Department for five years. Police Officer Houston Tipping 
police officer of the Los Angeles Police Department, end of watch, Sunday, May 29th, 2022. Officer trainee Cody Olofsson, United States Department of Homeland Security, died after suffering a medical emergency while training at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Georgia. He has served with the United States Customs and Border Protection for four months and was assigned to the Pambina Port of Entry. Officer trainee Cody Olfeson, United States Department of Homeland Security, end of watch, Friday, May 20th, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty. Before I say uh, adios for today, I ask you for your support of the Wounded Blue. Go to thewoundedblue.org. This is a national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. They are literally saving the lives of police officers across this country. What happens when a police officer is severely injured in the line of duty, either physically or psychologically and emotionally, is often completely misunderstood by the American public. I urge you to go to Amazon.com and look up our documentary film called the Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. Just put in the words Wounded Blue, it'll come up on Amazon.com. It will show you something you will never believe uh, and it will shock you. Trust me when I say that. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you can give five bucks a month, do that. If you can give 12 bucks a month, do that. Whatever you can afford, believe me, you can be a hero to these heroes. And every one of these men and women who have sacrificed so much for America and for their community are truly heroes. Thanks for joining me here at the uh, Voice for American Law Enforcement, heard on AmericaOutloud.com, also uh, the, uh, our YouTube channel, and don't forget iHeartRadio. So if you're listening to any of those or watching, uh, thank you so much for joining me. And you can reach me at Randy at TheWoundedBlue.org, Randy at TheWoundedBlue.org. Uh, catch me on Facebook or Instagram, LT Randy Sutton. And uh, I, I, I really would love to hear from you, get your uh, words and your thoughts on the show. So this is Randy Sutton reporting for The Voice for American Law Enforcement.